It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I am your host, Carmen Herbert, and today I'm so excited to have Nate Bagley on the podcast. Nate is a marriage researcher and educator, and his mission in life is to help you create the most ridiculously awesome marriage possible. Most people focus on teaching you what you want to do or or teaching you what to do, and Nate cares more about helping you actually do it because he knows that people want results more than they want knowledge, which is so true. You can have all the knowledge in the world if you don't put it to use. It doesn't do anything for you. It just sits in your brain and rots. (laughs) So check out his most valuable tools and resources on his website, which is mormonmarriages.com or growthmarriage.com. Nate, thank you so much for coming on Doing Good today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to talk with you, and I can't think of anything really that does more good in this world than having a very strong marriage because it trickles down to families, which trickles out to communities, which changes the world. Yeah, and the flip side is also true. When your marriage is in a tough spot, it affects every aspect of your life. It's totally true. I look at the climate of the world today, and there's a lot of pressure on families right now. You know, you've got a lot of people at home with their kids doing homeschool. You've got the pressure of the holidays with COVID and a lot of people don't know what to do. Like, should we go see family? Should we not? I'm sure everybody's kind of sick of quarantining, but they don't want to get sick. You've got the the craziness of the elections that have been happening here in the United States. All those things. All the social justice stuff that's been happening. And so there's just a lot of chaos and pressure. The economy is hard for some people right now. And I just think there's a lot of a lot of families and especially a lot of marriages that are experiencing tension and pressure that they've never faced before. And that impacts your health and it impacts your like you're more likely to experience depression and anxiety if your marriage is in a tough spot. Totally. Um, there's just so many other things that get impacted if your marriage is, is in, a, in a rough situation. So. And because of all of that, if if most women are like me, we kind of turn inward and we think, I can't think about anything but surviving right now. Intimacy, yeah, right. I can't think about that. I'm too overwhelmed and stressed because intimacy is so mental for women. And if there's anything on my mind that I'm stressed or overwhelmed about, I'm like, oh my gosh, the last thing I'm thinking about is is having an intimate relationship with my husband. How can you even think about doing that? And men, if they're anything like my husband, are the opposite. That's where they go to to release all that stress, to release all that tension. They need their wives and they want to be more intimate. And so it's, I'm going this way and he's going the other and we're stuck together all the time in quarantine. So how do couples work through that? The, I am not in the mood, I'm too stressed and I'm so stressed, so I'm in the mood more. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, uh, there's there's a lot to unpack here. Um, one of the one of the places that I would start is just realizing that different people respond to stress differently, um, and, and there are a lot of stereotypes that come along with it. But don't feel guilty if your marriage doesn't hit this reach the stereotype fit the stereotype either. Like in my marriage, my wife tends to be the higher desire partner in times of stress, and I tend to be the lower desire partner. Oh, interesting. Um, we all like we all just react a little bit differently. So I just want to yeah. preface that by saying there are a, a, a lot of times the stereotypes hold true, but there are but don't feel guilty or weird if it doesn't that sure. doesn't fit your marriage. Yes. Um so yeah, I think a lot of times when like when I get stre- in stress mode and you get in stress mode, it sounds like we turn into air traffic controllers. And it's like, my job is to land all the planes. 
Yes. And there's so many planes in the air. Like air traffic controllers have the st most stressful job in the world because if they make a mistake, it's billions of dollars. It's just a hot mess and lives yes. are at stake. And, and so like you have to be on your A game. Um, and so if you want to like connect with your partner, if you want to have intercourse with your partner, if you just want to unwind and go on a good date night with your partner, it's really easy to push that to the bottom of the list. Yes. And because it's not urgent. And right. there's so many other things that are urgent um, in your, in your life. Whereas on the flip side, there are people who, who, when they're feeling that stress, all they want is to connect exactly like, exactly like you were saying. Yes. So a, a great, a great place to start is understanding that there are actually different types of desire. Did you know that? Yes. There's, there's two different types. There's responsive desire and there's spontaneous desire. Okay. And um, I think it's really important to know that these two different types of desire exist. I think the what most people think about when they think of desire is they think of spontaneous desire. They think uh, like early on in the relationship when you're just kind of like daydreaming about your partner and you're like, oh my gosh, it'd be so fun to like make out right now <laughs> or to go spend right. time together and cuddle under a blanket. Yes. Like, you know, or you're, you're like walking through the grocery store and you're shopping and all of a sudden you just like catch yourself fantasizing about your partner. Like yes. that, that is spontaneous desire. And that's the kind of desire that a lot of us associate with being normal. Okay. Um, but there's also this really interesting aspect of desire called responsive desire. And responsive desire is the desire that shows up after you've experienced some sort of connection and arousal. Okay. So responsive desire is, uh, I'm not really in the mood, but your partner starts snuggling up on you and kissing you a little bit. And then you're like, oh, actually, this feels kind of good. And you lean okay, into it a little bit more. The and then mood. you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, actually, I really do want this right now. Yes. And, and it's just as the responsive desire is just as valid as a type of desire as spontaneous desire. But I think culturally, sometimes we put too heavy of a weight on the spontaneous desire. And people think like, oh, I'm not normal if I don't experience spontaneous desire. I'm not normal if like I'm busy making sure the kid's homework is done and making sure the kitchen is clean and the dishes are washed and the, and the floors are vacuumed and mopped and swept and that the laundry is all folded and that, you know, the bills are paid and that, you know, I signed all the the release forms for my kid's field trip and that my husband, totally. had, you know, all, all these things that, that go on in your mind. Yep. Like, that the, the fact that desire doesn't just pop up randomly, you, sometimes you feel like you're broken, but that's absolutely not true. Biologically speaking, it's very normal, especially for most, most commonly for women to experience responsive desire, which is a response to a stimulus. That's when you experience that, that desire. So, so how do we get to the place where we can enjoy that and experience that? And so Lara Brotherson, I love her. She's a, she's a sex therapist too. Uh -huh. And she said, it's like women are like the world wide web and you have all these windows that are open <laughs> and you have to close all your windows first before you can relax. Yeah. And sometimes I think, but if any window is open, I can't focus on the responsive desire. I can't focus on you kissing me or whatever. Cause I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I forgot to buy their stocking stuffers. And I, I forgot to get this. And it's hard for me to just simply yep. let go and relax. So what would you say for people that are maybe extra hard like me to relax and let myself enjoy that moment without thinking, but mm -hmm. if I let go of the things I'm thinking about, then I'll be that much further behind. It's almost like I can't yeah. let go of those things because I have to remember what I'm supposed to do. And instead my husband's like, don't you want to forget about everything? Like 
it's okay to forget about everything right now and just let yourself enjoy it, Mike. But I can't enjoy it if I haven't sorted out exactly everything in my mind first. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. The struggle is real. Yes. So my favorite sex therapist in the world, her name is Emily Nagoski. She's not a member of the church, but she wrote a really amazing book called Come As You Are. Okay, I'm writing and this down. Come as you are. It's phenomenal. And and she creates this beautiful analogy that I think you will find useful. Okay. Um, so she says that everybody, when it comes to desire, your 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 like internal desire mechanism works a lot like a car. Okay. A car has a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And your desire has a gas pedal and a brake pedal. There are things that rev up the engine and then yes. there are things that hit, make you pump the brakes. Yes. And um, to take it like another level further, you've got an internal gas pedal and an internal brake pedal and then an external gas pedal and an external brake pedal. Yes. And so one of the most important things that you can learn to do or start doing is start making a list of the things that are your gas pedal and the things that make you hit the brakes. Okay. Um, and, and like actually and write them down. Write them down and then give them to your partner so that they understand as well. Do this for each other. This can be like a really amazing activity. But it's really interesting when you start thinking about it, um, how many gas pedals and brake pedals that you have. So uh, let me give a couple of examples if that's okay. Absolutely. So um, let's see. If we're talking, do you want to talk about gas pedals or brake pedals first? Let's talk about gas pedals first. Okay. So internal gas pedals could be like anything in your mind that helps you feel like you're you're in the mood. It could be that you meditated or prayed recently. Okay. Um, it could be like that you took got, got a lot of the stresses or worries off of your plate so you're not preoccupied with other things. Um, it could be that you just like spent some time in a bubble bath and, and you cleared up your mind or you had a great conversation with a friend and you're feeling like energized and renewed. So anything that will like nurture your mind or your spirit and help you feel like calm or at peace um, and and feel like really good. Okay. And then your external um, gas pedals are going to be more along um, like your environment or interactions with other people. So it could be like if you have dirty or like, I guess a clean house could be like a really great gas pedal. Huge. I'm like, if yeah. my house is dirty, don't even think about coming near me. Right. But it, it has nothing to do with what we're doing. Nope. But it's the fact that I'm thinking about it and I know um, all is not well in my world. Yep. A, a fresh shower is another one. Like if you're freshly showered and you smell good yes. or your, or your partner is freshly showered and they smell good, that could be like a really great gas pedal for you. Okay. Um, it could be that you had a really great workout that day and you've got the endorphins going, huh. um, you know, if you go back to the internal, it could be like a self-esteem thing. You've been taking care of yourself lately and you're just feeling yeah. really good about yourself. Uh, it could be, uh, what's like your environment. Like maybe you're away at a hotel and there's no distractions and that could be a really great gas pedal for you. It's a yes. really great way to get, get you revved up. Um, it could be smells or sounds like maybe you have a favorite playlist or like a, a scented candle or a perfume or cologne that you have. It could be um, sensations like being tickled or massaged or having your head scratched, um, holding hands and going for a walk. Uh, like all of those things could be things that help you kind of hit the gas pedal a little bit. Okay. Let me ask you this and I'm sorry to interrupt, but just hearing yeah. you say this, is this stuff that is normal to do every time. Like I think about if some people think, oh my gosh, well then in order to have sex or be intimate with my husband, 
I have to do all these things. You know what I mean? Like I have to get my yeah. candle and I have to get the clone. He has to give me a head scratch first and then I'm going right. to take a shower and then I have to have the right sheets on a clean, in a clean room and a clean house. Yeah. It and seems it, like an extra, it seems like get, just getting, putting your foot on the gas pedal can feel like a brake pedal. Exactly. You're just like, Oh yes. So that's really interesting that you bring that up because Emily Nagoski actually says um, in her book that it's more effective to focus on taking your foot off the brakes than putting your foot on the gas. Okay. So how do we do that? Yeah. So, so that's, it's good to know what your gas pedals are because they can help. Okay. But if, but if you're going to focus on one thing, focus on taking your foot off the brakes. So let's go back to your, let's, let's talk about the brakes a little bit. Okay. Your brakes are anything that are going to put you, take you out of, of the mood of connecting with your partner. So brake pedals for me, like stress is a big, big brake pedal. If I'm preoccupied about a uh, like unfinished email or a work project or uh, you know like a home project, like I started putting together these shelves in the garage the other day and then ran out of time and there's just like this pile of wood sitting in the garage and I'm yes. just like I can't stop thinking about it. Yes. <laughs> um, dirty dishes is another one. Like yes. it's like I we can't leave on vacation unless the bed is made and the dishes are clean. I'm totally the same. Yep. So totally understand that. A lot of people can relate. Um, intrinsically, like. Maybe you just had a fight with a friend or a family member and you're like stewing on it. Maybe your partner said something to you using the wrong tone of voice and you're feeling resentful. Maybe you have like a a disagreement that you had that you haven't resolved and that can take you out of the mood. Maybe you haven't had a shower that day. Maybe you're feeling bloated. Maybe you have kids outside the door and you don't want them to hear and they're like scratching and you're wondering. That is my biggest thing is by far is the kids. I have yeah. four ages, five to 12. Yep. And I'm like, if I hear a peep from any one of them, I'm, like, I'm done. Ooh. I'm done. I, I, I'm, I'm out of it completely because that is something that can only be between my husband and I. And if I hear a child, it's like wet blanket. Like I'm, yep. I, I can't do it anymore, but, but that's life and that's normal. So how, how do you get past that? the giant brake pedal of all those things. I know you're getting into that, but that's my biggest thing. And that's the, that's the big question is um, like, everybody's going to solve these issues differently. Okay. But the first step is knowing what are your brake pedals? What are the things that happen either before leading up to during or after any sort of intimacy, whether it's physical intimacy or emotional intimacy that kind of take you out of the mood, get you distracted, Yes. get to know your brake pedals. And then you start working on resolving them. Okay. So, um, one thing might be, uh, like, do you want to talk about the kids one? Cause that sounds yes. like you're, you're hung up on a little bit that we can yep. dive into. So, uh, one thing might be, um, like just setting boundaries with your kids about what it means when the door is locked for mom and dad's room. Um, one of the, you can be as explicit or non-explicit as you want. Like, I think it's healthy for your kids to know that you have sex or that you need time alone. One of my favorite interviews that we did for the Mormon Marriages podcast is we interviewed Marilee Boyack. And um, she is my neighbor. Really? Yes, she is. I love her. She lives. I will. And she said when she was raising, she had, I think, three or four boys. She had four boys. Same as me. Yep. And when she was raising her boys, she told them at like, I think it was 8.30, she'd put them to bed and she'd say, okay, after 8.30, mom stops being mom and I start being a wife. And you can come out and hang out with us, but I'm pretty sure you don't want to see me be a wife. Like you don't (laughs) want to see that. That's not, 
but I'm not going to, I'm not going to come in and get you a drink of water. I'm not going to come in and answer your questions anymore at eight 30 mom mode goes away and wife mode comes out. Wife mode kicks in. Okay. So that can be like a boundary that you set with your kids that at a certain time you're no longer mom because you yes. need to have, you need to have time with your husband, with dad, because sure. that relationship is important too. So you can leave it that vague, or you could be really honest and say, Hey, you know, mom and dad have recreational time together in our bedroom. We have, you know, we have sex sometimes and that's what's happening when the door's locked. And that's a special private time for mom and dad. And it's time that unless it's an absolute emergency, you don't bother us. Um, and just kind of setting that expectation because our kids learn from our example. Yeah. And we want them to grow up and be sexually whole and healthy Absolutely. individuals. Yes. And knowing that that's something that mom and dad do without having it to go into a lot of detail makes them know that it's okay that they do that when they are married. Right. And so. we've, I totally agree with you. Um, we've always been very open with our boys about the wonderful amazingness that is sex and intimacy in a relationship. It's good. It's important. It's not weird. Uh -huh. um, kids, they probably for sure think it's weird right now, but, <laughs> but we want them to have a healthy relationship with that and to know, yeah, that's how you guys were made, yeah. but it's more of a me thing. It's, it's knowing they're even awake. It's knowing they could even hear or know what's going on. If I think they know what's going on or, or, or they, they're awake or anything. I can't, I, I physically cannot do it. Yeah, I can't get it, in the mood, even I knowing a, they're awake. I think that's a lot of uh, something that a lot of us struggle with is whether it's, whether other people can hear or not. Like, I think there's a, a sense of, um, wanting to like look and sound and behave and perform in a way that doesn't embarrass us. Yes. So like whether that's with our partner, just the two of us, like we don't want to do anything that's embarrassing or that makes us feel weird. And also other people, like maybe you live in an apartment complex and you're afraid your neighbors can hear, or you have yes. kids at home and you're afraid, afraid your kids can hear. I, I understand that that's like a real worry for some people. So, um, do you think that we focus too much on that? Yeah. Like that it needs to be more of a natural, normal, Thing, or do you think that, I don't know, what's the line between this is very private and very personal and this is a normal, wonderful thing and we don't need to be so embarrassed by it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't get to set the the line. I think everybody gets to decide their own line, which is, you know, part of the beauty of it. Um, but I would, I would say that the, your growth edge happens when you start to feel uncomfortable. And part, I'm a big fan of the idea of, of eternal marriage. Like, I love that this is a part of the gospel that we believe in. And I think there's a, a big, I, maybe I should switch that up. I'm a big fan of celestial marriage. And I think there's a difference between eternal marriage and celestial marriage. And I think the difference is that, you know, eternal marriage is marriage forever, but a celestial mm -hmm. marriage is a marriage that progresses, Yes. marriage that's constantly improving. And that requires us to step outside that comfort zone and try to grow. Like marriage is the ultimate human growth machine. Yes. Nothing, nothing gives you more opportunities to grow than being married. Absolutely. And so if you're bumping into an area, whether it's in your, your sex life or your intimate life or anywhere else inside your relationship, and it's causing you discomfort, that's, a, I think, a sign from God that, Hey, you're on the right track. And like, don't, how do I put this? If, if what you're looking for is an anxiety-free marriage, you're not going to have a good marriage. Oh. Does that make sense? Yes. Why would it 
why is an anxiety-free marriage not a good marriage? I mean, you're not trying. You're not worried about things yeah. anymore. I think there's two types of anxiety. I think there's your your brain's number one function. Like the primary responsibility of your brain is to keep you alive. Yes. And so the thing, the way that it does that is it gets really good at detecting threats. Okay. What are the things that I might do that might put me in danger? Like physical danger, I might be eaten by a wolf or a bear or a tiger, but also danger of being rejected by the tribe because we're tribal creatures. So I don't want to do anything that's going to put me on the outs. It's going to make me the outcast of the tribe because I can't survive alone. And so our brain sometimes works in in overdrive. And um, it's kind of like a, a great example. There's a book that I recently read called Everything Isn't Terrible by Kathleen Smith. And she likens your anxiety to a fire alarm. And how often does the fire alarm go off when you're cooking bacon? Or something like that, you know. It goes yeah. sometimes it just goes off when you're yeah. when you're cooking dinner or or whatever. Something's happening in your house and and the fire alarm goes off. Now the fire alarm's job is to detect smoke, to 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 detect that that smoke and then be like, hey, something's happening. Yes. But like 99 times out of a hundred, your house isn't burning down. Right. And so what you need to get really good at is when you hear the alarm, looking around, assessing for danger, and if there's no danger, acting responsibly. And so um most of the time when you're when your anxiety is going off your anxiety isn't is detecting a threat kind of like the smoke detector is but the threat that the the severity of the alarm doesn't always match the actual threat that makes sense so so what we need to learn to do is distinguish between the anxiety that is there is an imminent danger and a threat to my life and my well-being and those of, and the well-being of my family and the anxiety of doing something new that stretches us outside our comfort zone because we also feel anxiety when we have to give a talk in church or when you have right. to perform on stage, as you know, right. Um, or you might feel anxiety when you have to um, have a hard conversation with your partner about something that's been bothering you. You might feel some anxiety when um, you stand naked in front of somebody, you know, right. and they have to, they see your, your, the flaws in your body and, and the things that you're insecure about. Um, there's a lot of things that can cause us anxiety, but if we run away from all the things that cause us anxiety, we run away from also, we run away from the dangers. Yes. But mostly we we're, what we're running away from is opportunities to grow. Abs I was just going to say that all the growth opportunities for sure. Yeah. So how do we, how do we embrace that and be comfortable with the uncomfortable growth opportunities in marriage? Yeah. So one of the most important things that you can do is learn to self-soothe. Like learn, learn to, when the alarm goes off, look around, assess for danger. And if there isn't a danger, turn off the alarm, which means calming your body down. It means calming, uh, calming your mind down, calming your heart down. And I think it's a real, I think a lot of marriages suffer in a very real way because um, one or both partners have become hypersensitive to their inner fire alarm and they live in a constant state of anxiety and they feel like every everybody's out to get them. Everything that happens has a negative, uh, like tint to it. Um, or we react to something our husband said or spouse said, and we think, yep. "What did you mean by that?" The scientific term is negative sentiment override, where basically what it means is um, people who are in negative sentiment override perceive the ma majority of interactions to they, they miss about fifty percent of the positive interactions with their partner, and they perceive the neutral interactions as mostly negative. Do you think that this has increased since COVID? Oh, for sure. 
and that people just because of the negativity around us all that that's what we're thinking about all the time and maybe consequently we brought some of that into our marriage yeah i I look at covid as a pressure test okay so if you are um like when you launch a ship a, a space shuttle into the into space like before you can launch it you have to pressure test all the pieces because if there's a leak or a weakness that gets exploited in space yeah. uh, is, or during takeoff when you have all this fuel and like there's all this pressure and energy. And I think what COVID is doing to a lot of couples is you, we're pu- it's putting us in a pressure cooker. And just like like a, if you've ever used a, a, like a Instapot, yeah. when you pop the top, like yeah. there's one place for the steam to go and it just shoots out the top. Yes. I think that little spout is the problems that we have in our marriage. And if you have some issues that have gone unaddressed or problems in your relationship, COVID is um, forcing forcing us to like look at those things because the pressure is building in our homes and and in the world, and um, it's it's exploiting the issues in our relationship and making us take a good hard look at what's not working. And it's harder now to escape and pretend that those things aren't there yeah. because of the pressure in our homes and in life right now. And we're around each other all the time and there's more opportunities yep. to talk about things and to notice flaws in ourselves and in our partner. So and less opportunities to unplug and distract ourselves. Like there's exactly. less parties, less social gatherings, less yes. date nights. Yes. So it's just you and your partner and your family just staring at each other. And <laughs> you have Netflix in your phone and that's like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we do? How can we how can we make our marriages and we've talked a little bit about intimacy and our breaks and and gas pedals and making that a healthy part, but what can we do to just have a good relationship with our spouse and, and enjoy being with them? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great question. And I don't think we have enough time to go into all of it into detail, but if you don't mind, like this is a, this is a problem. Let me just start by telling a story. Um, Yeah. Is that okay? Absolutely. So I do, I do marriage full-time. Like my job is to help people create awesome marriages. And, um, this, this year has been hard on me. Like it's been a pressure test for our marriage. And, um, I'll just kind of give you some context. So last Christmas in my Christmas stocking, I unwrapped a gift and it was a positive pregnancy test. And so from basically January until August, um, my wife was pregnant Yes. And my wife is awesome, but pregnancy was not super easy on her. She experienced a lot of nausea and exhaustion and, uh, it was, it was hard and, um, it took a toll on our relationship. We couldn't go do all the adventurous fun things that we were used to doing and we weren't going on as many date nights and we were kind of slowing down. And then, as you know, in springtime COVID hit and that got even more difficult. Um, COVID itself is difficult, but my wife is also an ICU nurse, and so she was pregnant and working in the ICU and we didn't know like what this disease was and how it was going to impact everybody. And there were nights where we cried ourselves to sleep because we were worried that, um, you know, she, she, her working on the front lines, we were going to lose our baby or one of us would die. And it was really scary. And then you have like the civil unrest that happened with the George Floyd killing and that just raised the tension in the air. And then the elections came and that raised the tension. And so my wife was like, you know, seven, eight, nine months pregnant. And I can't even imagine we're not going on date nights. We're exhausted. Finally have the baby. You know how baby life is like, it's crazy. Totally. And, um, and I just noticed recently, you know, the baby came in August and I noticed in like September 
early October, I'm like, oh my gosh, my marriage has drifted into roommate syndrome. I'm wearing sweats every day. I put on like 15 pounds. We haven't been on a date night in weeks and weeks. We're spending all of our time watching Netflix and just like playing games on our phones. Yep. Not we're we're not having the kind of fun conversations that we used to have. We're not being spontaneous. We're yep. just exhausted and covered in poop and barf and yes. <laughs> and it's hard. And, it and I was like, this is not I like, if this is how my marriage is, I can't be the only one. For sure. Not you've described minus. Well, the poop, all my kids are potty trained, but <laughs> okay. minus that so, still with the, I mean, similar. I'm still wiping the bump. Yes. And the barf and yeah. we're, I mean, gaining the weight, the sweats, all that word yeah. for word. Yes. Yeah. So I decided, um, like if I, if I, a professional marriage person a, am struggling right now, there's gotta be a lot of other people who are struggling. So I decided yeah. to kind of formulate a solution. Okay. And I'm hoping that this solution helps people kind of get out of their funk and we'll go into a lot more detail about like what we can do to help our marriages thrive. Um, so I went out and I'm like, okay, I have the, I've been podcasting about marriage for like eight years. I know, you know, I know New York Times bestsellers. I know world famous researchers. I know like world renowned therapists and coaches. Like I know the biggest experts in marriage on the planet. We're friends. We hang out. And I'm like, Nate, come on, man. Why don't you just call up some of your friends and ask them what they would do to get out of roommate syndrome if, if the top experts in the world found themselves there? So I reached out to 30 amazing marriage experts. Oh, wow. I interviewed them. Some of them are parenting experts. Some of them are sex experts. Some of them like experts of all different topics and subjects uh, that relate to marriage. And I basically presented them with this question of, hey, like if you woke up one morning and realized like I did, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. My marriage has drifted into roommate syndrome. What would yeah. be your action plan? What would you do to get yourself out and then make sure that you never went back to that place again. Yes. Right. And, um, they were like, yeah, let's have a conversation. We did all these oh, interviews. Awesome. I recorded them all and I'm putting them together in a really cool event. That's going to go live December 8th through the 11th. What uh, is it called? It's called, are we roommates? And you can just go to, are we roommates.com if you want to sign up, but I learned so much talking to these people. A lot, a lot of, um, I know you've had some former guests, uh, that have been on your show that are, or that you're, that, that, and I know the LDS community is familiar with a bunch of them. Uh, like Matt Townsend is on there. Um, I know you've done a, an episode with him. I don't know if it's been published or not. Not yet, but oh, he's, he's amazing. amazing. Um, he's on the, the Utah Marriage Commission with me. He's a really great guy. Awesome. Um, Dr. Dave Schram is another LDS guy who works for Utah State who awesome. specializes in marriage. Jennifer Finlayson Fife is on there. I know a lot of people love She's her. She's so great. Yes. So a lot of voices like this are, are on there sharing their their top tips to help us stay out of roommate syndrome. So it's a cool resource. And so people can go and is this free? So we can log on. It's we free can... to watch. It's free to watch live. And if free you want to watch live. access, there's a small fee that's less than the cost of one therapy appointment. Awesome. So, so you can either watch live or you can watch for a small fee on your own time, like record uh -huh. it and watch it for a date night or something. Is this something that you recommend watching with your spouse or by yourself? You can do it either way. My my belief is that um, the 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 only way to change your marriage is to change yourself. Okay. I feel like there's kind of two strategies to that people take to change their marriage. One is to wait for their partner to change or for the problem to disappear. And the other one is to put on their big boy and big girl pants, lace up their boots and get to work and see what they can accomplish on their own. 
And um, the best marriages are when two people are both doing that at the same time. But if just one person participates, you can make a surprising impact on your marriage by working on it just by yourself. Okay. I want to talk to you about that because there's some people that might think, but then if I don't do it, it's all on me. I'm the only one that cares about it. And so, yeah, I can make my marriage great, but then I'm the only one that cares to make it great. And if I don't, then it's, that's so much pressure on me. So I read this book called The Surrendered Wife. Have you heard of it? Yes. Laura Doyle, the author of that book is on the summit. Is she really? Yeah. She's a really good friend of mine. I loved that book yeah. and I re- I recommended it for book club and it was so controversial it's because they're like surrendered wife. Like even that title is like so old fashioned. Why yeah. would you surrender yourself? Oh my gosh, how, how small minded. Like, and so it was so funny reading it though, because I tried it. I didn't tell my husband I was doing the experiment. This was like four years ago when I did it. And one day he came up to me and for those of you who aren't familiar, it's basically exactly what you said. You can only focus on yourself. And so it's obviously written for women. And, um, I think she has one for, uh, for husbands too. Um, but this one was just written for women, the surrendered wife. And it's all about how you focus on you and how you can make your marriage better. And when you do that, men will naturally meet you where you are and want to take care of you more and want to make the marriage better themselves. Because when you're, putting in so much effort yourself naturally, unless you're in an abusive relationship or things are not healthy, your spouse will want to then do more for you. So I, I did, I did not tell my husband I was doing it. And part of it is, you know, she has all of these suggestions on, um, letting your husband from everything from letting him order for you at restaurants to what can I do for you today? Going out of your way. If he says, can I go golfing today? my original thought, like four kids under the age of six, like heck heck no, no. (laughs) exactly. You're not going golfing today. I'm going to be home with these stinky kids and you're going to go have fun and to start saying, yes, of course you can. (laughs) And he was like, what is wrong with you? Why are you saying this? And after a couple of weeks, he, he put his arms around me and he said, I don't know what has happened, but I've never been happier in our marriage. And so then I told him, I said, well, I have a confession to make. I read this book that my mom gave me called The Surrendered Wife. And he was like, what? And I said, I've been just basically trying to make you happier. But because of that, he was doing the dishes, cleaning the house, offering to take the kids more. Let me give you a back massage tonight. How can I help you? Go on a shopping spree with your – I mean, all of these things. He was like, I feel so happy. What can I do to make my wife so happy? And it really was true. What you said is that working on myself – actually improved both of us so much. The law of reciprocity is real. It's real. And, and Laura, Laura Doyle's book, The Surrendered Wife, the thing I love about it is it's all about surrendering unnecessary control. It's yes. not about surrendering to your husband. It's about no. surrendering control over the things that we sometimes just hold onto so tightly. Yes. There's, um, there's a really interesting concept that I've been fascinated with lately called, um, it's called overfunctioning. Have you heard this term before? I have not heard that term. Okay. So overfunctioning is one of the ways that we deal with our anxiety. Okay. And the way that overfunctioning works, I, the best way to, to talk about it is to use an example or tell a quick story. So typically women tend to overfunction on a, to a higher degree than men, but it's, it, men also overfunction. It's not a, it's not a, like a black and white binary thing. Yeah. Not, gender um, but the way overfunctioning works in this story is you've got this amazing wife and, um, her husband 
has a little bit of a high cholesterol problem and uh, her son is kind of struggling in his English class and her father um, just had heart surgery and needs to take his medicine. And uh, she's, these are all things that, um, that are really concern her. They worry her because, you know, she wants her husband to live to see their grandbabies and she wants her son to graduate high school and she wants yes. her her dad to to like not die unnecessarily right and so um so she takes it upon herself she's like well i can't i can't guarantee that my husband is going to stick to this new diet plan and i can't guarantee that my like there, there's a, there's an anxiety that comes up when the outcome that you want is dependent on somebody else's behavior. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. So because it's outside your control, you start to worry and you yep. start to get anxious a little bit. And so the solution is often, well, why don't I just wake up extra early and I'll just make my husband lunch. And then why don't I just sit down next to my son and help him write his English papers so he doesn't fail his class. And why don't I just like call my dad every night and make sure that he takes his medication so that he doesn't die, you know? And in it, as you kind of start, it, it, it's a great solution for multiple reasons. One, it makes, it takes the anxiety away. Like right. now you're, now you're confident that things are getting taken care of. Right. And two, people start to appreciate you. Like yes. you're, you are, you become the linchpin. You become the person that everybody is relying on to get stuff done. Right. Um, and it feels nice to be the hero. It feels nice to be the person that people rely on. Right. But after a while, people start to take your kindness for granted and it becomes an expectation. And um, this woman that we're talking about, at one point, she start, she finds out that her husband, even though she's been packing his healthy lunch so that he could maintain his cholesterol or control his cholesterol, he's been going out a couple of times a week with his work buddies and just throwing her lunch away. And they go out to like lunch for, for business meetings. And she also realized that her son has basically stopped putting any effort into his English homework because he realized she realized or he realized that if he puts it off enough, his mom is just going to write the paper for him. Right. So that he doesn't fail. And she noticed that every time she calls and talks to her dad, um, all they talk about is his health. And it, it's a, like a really frustrating situation because they don't talk about anything else anymore. She just feels like she's turning into his babysitter. Um, and it's, it's always about like when he's going to die and like, and what his health problems are. And she's starting to feel resentful that she doesn't have fun with her dad anymore. And, and then that's what starts to happen is like all these other things might start getting tacked on as well. And you start to get burned out and exhausted yeah. and you start to feel frustrated that every, like you start to say things like, I'm the only one who cares about our marriage or right. I'm the only one who does anything around the house. Yes. Like I, if I didn't do this, then it just would never it wouldn't get, get done. done. Yeah. And we start to resent the people that we love in our lives. And even if the people that we love try to help us out, we oftentimes either say no thanks, like, we, you know, oh, let me help with the dishes or let me take out the garbage. No, no, it's okay. I got it. You know, we want to play the victim or we do let them help, but then we criticize the way they do, they do it because they don't, don't do it right. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. That, that oh, yeah. That tendency that we have, that we fall into. Yep. So then, so then because we're resentful and we don't accept help and we have kind of fallen on our sword a little bit, then we're no fun to be around because right. whenever, whenever you're around an over functioner, all you really get to hear about is 
all the, all the reasons why they are, they are being a victim, all the all the ways that they are being shortchanged in life, the ways that people are like not supporting them and not loving them, and how they carry all the weight and all the burden, and it's just not fun to spend time around somebody like that. You become yeah. unpleasable, and and kind of like a killjoy for yeah. people. And and it's and and it all stems with you trying to manage the, your own anxiety at the very beginning, and so this kind of goes back to that question that you asked of like, what if I don't want to be the only one who cares all about my marriage? Like, I don't want my marriage to be all on me. Yes. And, um, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be all on you. You can control your part of the marriage, but you can't control all the marriage. Yeah. And, um, if you feel like it's all on you, you should turn into tune into the summit because we have Kathleen Smith, who's the author of that anxiety book, the everything isn't terrible. She she's on there and she talks a lot about this overfunctioning issue and like kind of going back to what you were talking about when we were talking about intimacy at the beginning of the conversation, what do I do? Yeah. Like a lot of our growth and a lot of our ability to have a successful marriage where we're not resentful and frustrated and where we get to connect with our partner hinges on our ability to calm ourselves down hinges on our ability to soothe our own anxiety. And it's a skill we have to master if we're going to spend any time in the growth zone. And um, there's a lot of ways that we try and evade or, or like get out of anxiety that are not productive. And there's only a small handful of ways that we can deal with anxiety in a very productive way. And if we don't teach ourselves those productive ways, then we miss out on all the blessings and the beauty that that is hidden inside of the struggles of our marriage. How can we learn about what those ways are? Yeah. I mean, a great, I would start by um, like looking, looking at pot, listening to some good podcasts about anxiety. Um, Brene Brown has some, some good stuff. Uh, I know Jennifer Finlayson Fife has some good stuff. There's some really great books out there. Like this, everything isn't terrible book is the best book I've read on anxiety. Awesome. Um, uh, and just understanding that anxiety is, anxiety is emotional, but it's also physiological. Like it also happens in your body. Yeah. And so there's, there's like different, there's different aspects of learning to manage that anxiety. One is learning to, to manage like your heart rate. Right. And it's something as simple as learning to take deep breaths like that properly. annoying notification on your Apple watch that says exactly. time to breathe. You're like, I don't have time to breathe. But most of us don't breathe properly. Most of <laughs> right. us breathe in the chest and in the shoulders yeah. where like the best way to breathe is actually breathing into your stomach. Right. Um, most of us don't fill up our lungs very often to, to capacity. We breathe really shallow and that yep. causes, that causes more stress and anxiety and like learning to slow your breathing down and like really fill up your lungs and really empty your lungs like that alone can be a huge thing. Um, learning, learning the signs, like the, the feelings in your body, the tension in your shoulders or the pit in your stomach that comes up when you're starting to feel anxious and reactive. And when you, as you become more aware of the sensations in your body, you can, you can learn to catch them earlier and calm yourself before it gets out of control. Um, and then on the flip side, there's your thoughts and emotions and, um, there's a really great session in the Are We Roommate Summit, Summit about the, like the narratives that we have in our brain and the narratives that we believe. And um, another part of staying calm is learning to recognize that you have a constant story running in your head. Yeah, You're constantly seeing things and then making them mean something. You're interpreting them and attaching 
some sort of narrative or story to it. Yes. Um, and we, we're really, really good at crafting narratives as human beings. Yes. Uh, a great example is like, if you've ever been texting your partner, this, ha this, this has happened to me. So I'm like texting my wife. She's texting back. I'm texting her. She's texting back. I text her and then just like nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> what did I say? Why aren't yeah. you responding? Did I take you off? What's your yeah. problem? And then I'm like, wait, what if she was like in the car? What if she was texting and driving? Oh my gosh. What if I made her get in a car accident? I hope she's okay. Wait, what if she's not okay? What if she's like being carted off to the hospital right now? Oh my gosh. I'm such an idiot. Like I should have just not, I should have just called her on the phone instead of texting her. And now she's like dying in a hospital room. You know, we just automatically fill in with all the only information that we have is she didn't text back. Right. But now I have this whole story about how she's either mad at me and we're in a fight or how right. she's dying on a hospital bed, bleeding out. Right. And it's all the narrative that I made up. And once you realize that that narrative is there all the time, you can learn to start controlling those thoughts. And a lot of times those narratives are the narratives that say like, your husband hates you. Right. Your wife thinks you're weak. Your wife thinks you're stupid or incompetent. Uh, your husband's annoyed with you right now because listen to the tone in his voice. It must mean that he's annoyed with you. Yes. It can't be anything else, you know? And it's just this voice just keeps spinning and spinning. And often in most of the time, because your brain's primary job is like we said at the very beginning to keep you alive and to detect, yeah. detect threats. Yes. Like we, we assume negative intention more often than we assume a positive intention. But if you can like tap in and start, start training your brain, to be more neutral or even more positive and, and, and create more positive stories that can help a lot with your anxiety. Um, there's a lot of techniques that obviously we don't have time to go into, but those are some great places to start of, uh, is just like asking yourself some questions. Is yeah. the thing I'm thinking right now true or am I just making it up? Yes. And, and if it is, if it isn't true or if it is, how do I behave when I believe it to be true? Yes. Like, like, is it true that my partner will be grossed out or my kids will freak out if they hear us having sex or if I make a weird sound? Well, I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but how do I behave when I believe it to be true? Well, I'm like, I hold back. I'm more reserved. I'm more self-conscious. I don't enjoy myself as much. My partner probably doesn't enjoy themselves as much either. And then I get in my head and then it makes me anxious. And then I can't, and then like, it ends up being a miserable experience. Yes. And it's like, okay, well then what's a different story that I could tell myself? Uh, my kids don't care or they'll think it's funny or my partner will accept me no matter what. Or um, maybe if I let loose, my partner will also start to be more vocal and let loose or, you know what I mean? Like there's so many different stories that we could tell ourselves and try out to test to see if they were actually true than just holding on to the one that makes us anxious. I love that idea and it, and that thought of it's most of what I think we think we think about our marriage or ourselves or whatever is is in our head like it's it's my husband will say to me all the time I'll say you don't whatever you don't like the way I whatever and he's like you say that all the time you say you don't think this or you don't think that and he's like it's completely false I'm like no it's not I know you think this way and he's like 
I don't. You don't know that, but I do. I've written lots of really great narratives in my mind about how I think my husband feels about me or our marriage or our kids or other things. Just from same thing, like I'll ask him a question. He'll be like, "Mm mm-hmm, and won't expand. Well, why didn't you expand on that? You're bored talking to me. You don't like – when really he's like, he's like, sometimes I need a minute to think about it. Like, oh, yeah, mm mm-hmm, when he's thinking, that's so interesting. And I'm thinking he's bored. He doesn't care. So I love that thought of changing – the narrative in your mind, whether it's being intimate with your partner or, you know, thinking about your relationship as a whole, how they feel about you. Um, it sounds like there's some really awesome resources and podcasts and, and interviews that you do on the Are We Roommates. Um, so tell us again where we can go to access this incredible seminar you're doing. Tell us when it airs again and yep. um, and and how – what do you hope people – will come away from this seminar um, with better tools or thinking about their relationship? Like what do you hope people take away from this? Yeah. So, so I'm a firm believer that the number one threat to marriage is not, it's not, not divorce. It's mediocre marriages. I, I think a mediocre marriage is just one really big mistake or one really bad day or one really big argument away from a miserable marriage and a miserable marriage ends in divorce. And so if we can get out of that mediocre roommate phase where we're just talking about logistics and we're not really passionately kissing each other very much anymore and we're not having yeah. deep, interesting conversations anymore, yeah. we're fighting more than we want, or we're in that space where like we're really reactive and we have the negative goggles on, like that's that's the space we want to spend get out of and stay out of as much as possible. And so are we roommates.com? is where you go to sign up. And the goal of that is just to help us get out and stay out of roommate syndrome. Once again, we talk about a lot of different aspects of roommate syndrome. It's not just about sex. It's about like, we have sessions on communication. We have sessions on like your inner narrative. We have sessions on parenting and how uh, parenting can be, parenting with the wrong focus can be detrimental to your marriage and detrimental to your kids. Um, there's a lot of really powerful, interesting sessions that will, regardless of where you're at in your marriage, help you gain tools and principles that will help you strengthen your marriage, regardless of how strong it is right now. I love that. I'm so glad that you're doing this, Nate. I, I totally agree with you that marriage is so important. And, and when you change your marriage, you can change your family dynamic, sure. which again, affects your communities and and everything about your life when you feel safe and comfortable um in your marriage and and with who you are and and who you are as a couple that you can really honestly do anything and it's so important and I'm so glad that you're focusing on this right now. I'm so excited for people to check this out. Are we roommates.com sign up. It's free. Nate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast it today. It is my and pleasure. I love talking about this stuff. It was a, you're a great interviewer. And thank anytime you. you want me back, you just, I'm an email away. Well, I feel like we, there's so many other things we could talk about. Like I you touch on something. Days. I know. And I'm like, Oh wait, oh, wait, now I want to talk more about that. And more. so we'll have to have you on again for sure. I love to, to talk to you more about just how to make marriage awesome. So thank you so much for all the good you are doing in my marriages. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. 
Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.